Thank you so much that we have uh, this opportunity to reflect on the words of this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, please help us to read, mark, and learn them and to think deeply about them so that we'd grow in our understanding of what Jesus has done for us and the gospel and your purposes for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know if it's ever happened in your life that something that you've done or said has fallen far short of what you hoped or expected of yourself. And maybe somebody has even called you out for it. There was an occasion when my dad said to me, and I can't remember why, but he said, and you call yourself a Christian. It's embarrassing. It's crushing. I don't know if anybody's uh, had an experience like that. Maybe it's just me. Or maybe what about if you've simply done something which in hindsight, no one's called you out for it, but you just know by the influence of God's spirit and through his word that it's wrong. You have sinned. How does it affect your standing with God? Does it not undermine the gospel? Well, those are the kind of uh, issues that this Bible reading is uh, touching on from verse 15 to verse 21. And I do encourage you to open your Bibles on page 946. <clears throat> and apparently, I'm told by Kieran, you have been looking at this letter to the Galatians. Again, good day to you. My name is David. I work for CMS, uh, the Church Missionary Society. I've met some of you, but, uh, and you've met me, and I've probably forgotten most of your names, but remember to um, introduce yourself, and uh, I'll be with you again next week. But in this letter, and I'll be looking at chapter 3 next week, there's a certain thing going on. So Galatians, or the, uh, Galatia is, a, is an area in central Turkey, and uh, these are churches that Paul would have planted, maybe the very first churches that he planted. And what's happened is a delegation has come up from Jerusalem, and you looked at this last week, I think, from the mother church, from James, ostensibly the leader of the church, and this delegation wants to set things right. It wants to see the Jewish law have its proper place in the Christian life and in the church. And this has turned out to be such a big thing that there's been a public confrontation between the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter. And so Paul is writing to, um, uh, to justify what he is saying to them, and he's outlining his theology. So if we look at verse 15 and 16, which is where we're starting, and apparently you've looked at that briefly, we're going to look at it in depth today again. Uh, he writes, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So the crucial word there is justify. I even said it a moment ago, Paul justifying his theology. When was the last time you had an argument with someone? Oh, no, not on the way to church this morning. Uh, 
it is likely that in that argument, at least one person was trying to justify themselves or put themselves in the right. Imagine, as a crass example, Alison, my wife, saying to me this morning, David, why did you leave the toilet seat up again? I left it up. I was, I was in a hurry. Justifying myself, putting myself in the right. Alison, does it really slow you down to put the toilet seat down? No, but I was distracted. I was thinking about the sermon that I was going to preach at, at, at St. Philip's this morning. Uh, trying to put myself in the right. Not succeeding. Paul writes, we know that a man is not justified or put in the right with God by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. If we want to, and we certainly need to, put ourselves in the right with God, he's saying in the clearest way possible, there is only one way. And that's our first point. There is only one way to be put right with God. And Paul writes, he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. It sounds like such a racist remark. But it's not. You see, he says, when, when, when he talks about Gentile sinners, he's using common speak for the way Jews would think about non-Jews. Non-Jews were sinners because they, they didn't have the Jewish law. They were, they were cut off from God. They didn't do what God wanted. They didn't please God. Therefore, they were sinners. Um, and when Paul says, we, ourselves, he's talking about us, the apostles, he's talking, he's including perhaps anybody who's Jewish as amongst his readers. And he says, we Jews know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying, we, the apostles, maybe you could say we are the, like the closest people to God that you could possibly imagine. Even we know we're not justified, we're not put in the right by, with God by obeying these law things that we have to do. The greatest law abiders in the world are justified or put in the right with God only by trusting Jesus. Paul knows that he's been an abject failure, in fact, in doing the things that God wants. So he's explaining the way of the gospel, of trusting only in Jesus, not trusting himself and his ability to keep the law. In fact, Paul himself was one of the most renowned law keepers. And he's saying, if we can't do it, if we need Jesus, then surely anybody does, even Gentile sinners. And the majority of the people reading this letters this letter would have been Gentiles, and the Gentiles, and, 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 and they'd been kind of thinking, maybe we've got to be keeping the law. And he's saying, no, it's only by trusting Jesus. There's only one way to be put right with God. And I guess it's appropriate here for us to pause and for each of us to ask ourselves, what am I trusting to be accepted by God? Am I trusting my own efforts to be good? Am I trusting my Christian disciplines, my Bible reading, or my church attendance, or my service, my ministry at church? 
or am I trusting in Jesus? See, it is possible for somebody who is part of the church or has grown up in the church or has some kind of Christian identity to be mistaken. Recently, we had somebody from overseas, uh, an an exchange uh, student kind of, staying with our family and, and from another country. And I was blown away, actually, that they had so many signs of faith. Um, and, and this person, she prayed, she spoke about how she attended church, and she believed in God and how God had helped her. And um, I'd poked and prodded and engaged her in conversation, but we, not long before she left, I was able to ask her, what did she think a Christian was? And she said, a Christian is somebody who believes in God, who does good things, and who obeys the Ten Commandments. She asked, what do I think a Christian is? I said it was somebody who trusted only in Jesus Christ, in his death and in his resurrection, for their acceptance by God. And so she said, Well, if that's your definition of a Christian, then I am not one. She could see that she didn't trust Jesus. She was trusting herself. So we need to all continue to think, who am I trusting? What am I trusting? There is only one way to be put right with God. For Jews, for Gentiles, for ancients, for moderns, regardless of religion, only one way. I did some Googling uh, uh, for some other major religions. For a Muslim, there are certain things that we have to do to be justified by God. We have to say the Shahada, the creed. We have to do Salat. That's the five times a day ritual prayers. You've got to do the Zakat. You've got to, that, that's the alms tax that you have to pay. You've got to do Salm, which is the fasting uh, once a year. And you've got to do the Hajj. Those are the things that you have to do in order to be accepted by God. Similar uh, duties arose for for adherents of the Hindu religion. Even a major Christian denomination listed duties that you had to perform to be accepted by God. But Paul couldn't make things clearer when he's saying, uh, we know that a person is justified not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. There's only one way to be put right with God. So CMS, the organization that employs me, our vision is a world that knows Jesus. And the reason we have that vision is because it's only by knowing Jesus that people can trust Jesus, only by people understanding the full implications of what he did that they can trust him. Now, one of the sub-points of that vision is equipping Christian leaders for church and society. That's quite interesting and possibly controversial because in mission circles, there's a lot of emphasis on reaching the unreached, which is so important because people need to know Jesus, especially the ones that don't have access to him. But it's kind of controversial to be sending missionaries not only to the unreached, but even to places and to people where there is a church and where there are Christians. Why would CMS do this? Well, because we know 
that in under-resourced churches with untrained leaders, it is so easy to fall into error. Where if we just start to uh, lose the proper emphasis of the gospel, we can find ourselves trusting something else. And this is what's happened here in Galatia. This is not many years, probably, since Paul had founded these churches. Paul himself with the true gospel. And what they were doing is they were drifting into error. And so that's why he's writing this letter. And it's also why CMS continues to send missionaries, not only to places where there are no churches or the church is very weak, but even to places where there are uh, perhaps many Christians in order to help resource and train leaders. But there's only one way to be put right with God, by trusting in Jesus. Which leads to the second point or emphasis in this passage, which is, what about sin? What about sin? Look in verse 17. Paul writes, But if in our effort to be justified with Christ, we ourselves have been found to be sinners, is Christ then not a servant of sin? What he's saying is if the gospel is true, if we're justified by trusting in Jesus, then is Jesus not somebody who promotes sin? He kind of forgives them and he gives them, then he gives them freedom to do whatever they want to do. Does that not compromise Jesus? Saying a sinner's prayer and then carrying on as you did before? And Paul's answer is no, absolutely not. You see, he is picking up uh, a, a, a point that is well made by these Judaizers, which is, what about sin? Certainly, if you go back to the beginning of this letter, just on the previous page, in verse 3, Paul says something very, very important, and these words are not said lightly. Paul writes, Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from, from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. You see, he's saying that the whole purpose of what God did in Jesus is to set us free from sin, to make us new people. So flicking back to today's passage, that's why he says in verse 19, For through the law I die to the law so that I might live for God. You see, there's the purpose statement. We are meant to be living for God. So let's just think about that statement. For through the law I died to the law. He's saying for the Christian there's a new power at work. There's a new authority. Just like in uh, we wake up this morning and there is a new political power in, in charge. There's a new prime minister about to be sworn in. And that will have implications of change in policy and direction. For the Christian, 
there is a new power at work. He says, for the law, I die. Through the law, I die to the law. He's saying, the law made me realize my poverty towards God. And my law actually pointed me to Jesus. So I stopped trusting the law, and I started trusting something else. That's what he means in, in, in through the law, I died to the law. And then he's got that purpose statement, so that I might live for God. It's a purpose in the sense that it's a new motivating force. He wants to live for God in a way much more powerfully than he did before. He he wasn't there just to tick some law boxes, but he wants to live for God. But it's a purpose also in the sense that this is something that is actually going to happen so that I might live for God. So in short, the outcome of trusting in Jesus is that we want to and we actually do live differently. And that's one part of what Paul means when he says, moving on, it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. So as a Christian, there is a real change that has happened in our life through our mind and through the power at work in us. Paul is not claiming it's perfect Our motivations are not perfect. Our living out those motivations and that power at work has not been fulfilled. So even though sin is still present, it's not in control anymore. A new power is at work. Christians do think differently and Christians do live differently. So that's why Paul says... I do not nullify, verse 24, sorry, 21, the grace of God. The power of the gospel and the work of Jesus is not undermined by this trusting him story. In fact, it is fulfilled. So the purpose in making us new people has started and will by the power of God be brought to its final conclusion one day when Jesus returns. Meanwhile, it is easy to accuse anybody who trusts in Jesus of sin and of being a sinner. And it's justified. And it's easy for us to accuse ourselves because we know we miss the mark. It's justified. But it is wrong to say that Jesus promotes sin or that the grace of God is nothing. Because a Christian does have a different motivation and that process of transformation has started. And so we live in a tension now. People with transformed wills, yet still being reminded that we sin every day as people who still do wrong things. Luther, the great reformer, had a way of describing this. He used to say, the Christian is simul justus et peccator. Sorry for the pronunciation to the Latin scholars. Simul justus et peccator. 
meaning simultaneously justified or put right with God, and sinner, a person who does wrong things. I think the implication of Paul's words here is something slightly more than what Luther was saying. I think Paul is saying the Christian is simultaneously sinner and transformed. When we trust in Jesus, we are simultaneously sinner and transformed. So what about sin? Sin is still present in our lives, but as a defeated and dying enemy. Praise God. This is someone who trusts in Christ alone for their justification or acceptance by God. So let's just close with some application thoughts. We need to be put right with God. All people need to be put right with God, to be justified with God. There is only one way for this to happen, through Jesus, through trusting in what he did on the cross, not in what we do. There is only one way. The reason God has made this possible is to put sin to death and to totally and utterly transform us. But sadly, sin is still present in our lives. Let's not fool ourselves. It's a stain. It's an embarrassment. It brings our Lord into disrepute. But... Let's never think that sin is too bad, that we can't confess it and come to God for forgiveness, and let's never think that it doesn't matter, that we don't need to confess and to come to God and ask for forgiveness. So sin is still present, and we live with that tension. But the presence of sin, lastly, does not undermine the truth and power of the gospel and what Jesus came to achieve in the world and in Christians. So let's pray. Father God, we want to honor you and to honor your son Jesus and honor what he did on the cross by acknowledging that there's only one way we can be restored in relationship with you. By trusting him and trusting what he did. So we do trust him and we love him and we honor him for his sufficient death and resurrection. And we acknowledge that you brought us through yourself, to yourself through him to change us so that we would live for you. But we confess that there is so much contrary to that in our lives now, and we are so sorry. So please continue to change us so that we would live for you and that Jesus would live in us. Help us to keep trusting in him only and help us to keep fighting the battle against sin. We pray this in his name. Amen.